This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 70, closing in on number 100. We're looking at Jonah 1-9 today. Title of today's podcast is Jonah and the Fear of the Lord. Do you fear God? <laughs> Are you afraid of God? Should you be? I mean, does God want you to be afraid of Him? Uh, if you answered no to those questions, then uh, how do you understand verses like Proverbs 1 7, which tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? Or maybe Deuteronomy 10.12, which says, What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways? (laughs) Uh, That's the issue we're looking at today as we study Jonah 1.9. We are going to see from Jonah's own words that he fears the Lord and he instructs the sailors to do the same thing. But is Jonah right? Should we fear God? Should the sailors? Should you and I fear God? Well, stick around. That's what we're looking at in today's study. I'm about one week away from uh, publishing a brand new course on my website. It looks at 52 keywords of the gospel. Yes, (laughs) 52. It's my biggest course yet. Hope you've taken some of my other courses and like that way of learning. If you like this podcast, I imagine you like those online courses as well. Anyway, I'm doing these 52 words because I believe they are sort of the, the key 52 words in the Bible. Yes, they're the 52 words of the gospel, but if you understand these 52 words, then you are going to understand the Bible a whole lot better. You're also going to understand God, Jesus, yourself, right, Uh, along with the scripture, and to be able to share the gospel, live the gospel with more clarity and conviction as well. We all want that as well, uh, don't we? So uh, if you want to take that course when it's available, it's only available for those who join my online discipleship group at redeeminggod.com slash join. And if you join the hope or love discipleship levels, then you can take this course for free along with all of my other courses as well. Anyway, I can't wait to see you there. And if you're already part of those groups, then uh, I will notify you as soon as the course is available for you to sign up and begin taking it. Uh, That new course will be called the Gospel Dictionary because it's those 52 key words of the gospel when it comes out. It's going to go along with my book that's also coming out. I've been working hard on it. Stayed up till 3 one night this week, got up at 4.30 a.m. another night, trying to get this book ready to go probably by the first week of April, hopefully, but it might be second week of April. We shall see. Anyway, let's dive into our study of Jonah chapter 1, verse 9. So I've I've talked to a lot of people over the years about fearing God, and uh, in recent years, I've always counseled people that they do not need to fear God. I typically point them to passages like uh, 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 18, maybe, which teach that since God is love, all right, once we know how much God loves us, then we no longer need to fear him because, as John says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And usually, as part of that conversation, someone... uh, usually the other person, sometimes me, brings up Proverbs 1-7 or, you know, some other similar passage which says, yeah, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, you know, so, so 
And that's true. There's verses like that that say that sort of thing in the Bible. So what are we to do? Are, are we supposed to fear God or not? And uh, that's sort of the question we're going to get to after studying Jonah 1.9 today. Just to get you up to speed, here in Jonah, uh, Jonah, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to for various reasons, which we will discover. And so Jonah went the opposite direction, took a uh, ship headed uh, for Tarshish, and uh, he went down into the boat, went down to the cargo hold, and fell down to sleep. And so uh, now the, sail, the big storm has come up on the, the ocean, the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and the sailors are afraid for their lives. They are praying to their gods. They are casting their cargo overboard and um, doing everything they can while, while Jonah's asleep. All right. And uh, so anyway, the captain, probably as they were getting in this cargo, one of them found Jonah sleeping in the, in, the, in the hull of the boat. And so the captain went down there to question him, and they asked him these 20 questions. This is what we looked at last time. And now in verse 9, Jonah begins to answer these questions. All right, more questions are coming in verse 12. Uh, what we're going to see here in verse 9, and then especially in verse 12 when we get there, uh, Jonah teaches some pretty bad theology to these sailors, especially verse 12. Um, but anyway, today's, today's verse 9. And uh, this verse, by the way, is the central verse of the chapter. I don't know if you know what a chiasm is, but it's sort of a, like an inverse. It, it, it works its way up to a main point. It's, it's, a, it's a sort of biblical form of outlining, but it works its way up to a main point and then works its way back out. So you would have like point A, B, C, D, and then D would be the, the main point, and then it works its way back out from D. So you would have a, a point C again, and then point B again, and then point A again. It repeats it all, sort of like a sandwich or something, you know, the meat's in the middle. <laughs> Anyway, uh, verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, is the central point of a chiasm in uh, Jonah chapter 1. I'm not going to try to go through all that. You can just do that study on your own and see the parallelism. Anyway, it's, main, it's the main verse. It's what we're supposed to focus on in this chapter. And so uh, Jonah begins, uh, he, he's going to answer their questions, and he begins by ask, answering their last question first. They wanted to know his nationality, his people. And so he says, I am a Hebrew. And uh, he's answering this last question because, in his mind, probably, it's the most important, right? Uh, Jonah was, uh, uh, he was nationalistic. Uh, he, his national identity as a Hebrew, as a member of the chosen people of God, is very important to him. And he's very proud of being one of God's chosen people on earth. Um, and uh, so that's why he, he answers that question first. And remember, I told you last week, these questions the sailors asked him were theological in nature, and Jonah answered it that way as well. The, the sailors, when they heard Jonah say, I'm a Hebrew, they would have understood him to, that this, this had a theological answer to it. They, they had known, they, they certainly knew something about the Hebrew people, uh, probably looked at them a little weird because they only worshipped one God. I mean, what kind of people only worships one God? The sailors, whoever they were, Phoenicians maybe, uh, they had gods for everything, you know, sea gods and merchant gods and storm gods and weather gods and sun gods and moon gods and, and gods for luck and gods for love. And okay, uh, so, so they would pray to different gods depending on what they wanted to accomplish. But the, the, these Hebrew people only had one god? That is strange. And then further yet, there weren't temples and shrines all over the place to the god they worshipped. And the people viewed this strangely as well. Uh from, from, from an outsider perspective, you could only worship a god at a shrine or a temple. And so the Hebrew people, they only had one temple, and it was in Jerusalem. And so from, from an outsider perspective, this meant that God didn't want to be worshipped very much. 
what? You got to go to Jerusalem to worship your God? Wouldn't he want you to put a temple or a shrine on every street corner? So as you're going about your day, you could offer him some incense, give him a little offering of a chicken or something, you know, uh, pray to him, light a candle, something. It's weird that there was only one temple. Anyway, all of this made uh, people think that the way the Hebrew people worshipped their one God was all very strange. And uh, Jonah, he's going to teach them some theology here, and then in verse 12 as well, which probably, well, we'll talk about that more later. Anyway, uh, Jonah goes on to explain about his God. They they got questions about his God, so he says, okay, I'll tell you, I fear Yahweh, he says. He he names him. And uh, Jonah, this is the name of God, Yahweh, and uh, he claims that he fears Yahweh. He says he fears God. And uh, we're going to talk more about this fear of God at the end of today's today's episode, so I'll save that for later. But uh, notice that even if Jonah is speaking the truth here, that he really does fear God, and he might be, uh, his actions contradict his words, right? God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, if you fear God, what are you going to do? You're going to... Go to Nineveh, right? Instead, Jonah heads the opposite direction, goes in towards Tarshish. He heads away from Nineveh instead of toward it. And remember, we saw in previous podcast episodes, that is essentially Jonah slapping God in the face. Again, that's not something you do if you truly fear God. Now, the only reason Jonah would do that, maybe, is if he had a death wish, uh, which maybe Jonah does. Maybe he's suicidal, in a sense. Uh, We'll we'll talk about that in a future podcast episode as well, because it does, in fact, appear that Jonah wants to die rather than obey God. He wishes God would strike him dead. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that. But, But after making this claim that he fears God, fears Yahweh, Jonah tells the sailors a little bit about Yahweh. He says, Yahweh is the God of heaven. And that's an ancient title for God. It would have been a popular, a popular title in Jonah's day. And now when we, when we read this, God of heaven, you know, we think of this, the, the heavenly realm, the, the city of lights and gold, right? Where God dwells and where we're going to spend eternity. Although actually we're not. Uh, we'll be spending eternity on earth. But uh, again, <laughs> topics for another study. I have a lot of those. Um, but this isn't what Jonah meant by heaven. He wasn't thinking of the dwelling place of God when he speaks of God of heaven. All right, and the sailors would have under, wouldn't have understood him to say that either. People at that time thought of the heaven as the sky. Uh, you know, that's the place where the birds flew, where the clouds floated, where the sun and moon and stars traveled across their courses. If, if you've been re- listening to this podcast from the beginning, you might remember we talked about all of this in some of the early episodes when we were studying Genesis chapter one, when God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. It's the, the place of the, the moon, the clouds, the sun, uh, the birds. Okay, It's where weather comes from and that sort of a thing. And that's, that's important here because this uh, storm, where has it come? Well, it's come from the heavens, from, from the wind and the rain, uh, this, this storm that has come upon them. Uh, it also is a bit of an insult, maybe, or a challenge, we could say, to these sailors very likely, one of the deities or gods that they were worshiping was Baal Shemem, whose name was Master of the Heavens or Lord of the Heavens. All right, and, and so Jonah is saying to the sailors, "Yeah, the god you're worshiping, Baal Shemem, is not Lord of the Heavens. Yahweh is." Okay. Jonah continues though, 
And uh, he says, not only is God in control of the weather, he also made the sea and dry land. So uh, again, uh, this would, would be showing that Israel's God, Yahweh, was more powerful than other deities of the time, such as Yom, that's the sea god, and Baal Hadad, that's the sort of the, 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 the lord of the land, lord of dry land, uh, that the, the sailors might have been praying to asking Yom to calm the seas so they could get to the realm of Baal Hadad, the dry land, <laughs> and be safe. Uh, so, so Jonah's just challenging all that. He's saying that uh, Yahweh is the creator God. He is in charge of the heavens and the sea and the dry land, and he made it all. So this whole sort of uh, trinity here, heaven, earth, sea, right? Jonah is, is, is telling the sailors God could stop the winds in the heavens if he wants. He could calm the sea if he wants. He could allow them to reach dry land if he wants. So, so that, the basic truth sort of is, is Jonah's answer here in verse 9 that he's telling the sailors is that God created the world, and he controls the weather, and he controls their destiny, whether they're going to arrive safely on dry land or not. Again, he was definitely contrasting Yahweh, the God of Israel, with the gods that the sailors might have been worshiping. Whereas they were praying to multiple gods to accomplish multiple things, Jonah's saying, yeah, I only have to pray to one God, Yahweh, the God of the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, okay? Uh, I don't have to. I know who's in control, and I can just pray to him. And um, he, he's he, now obviously this isn't the entire picture of who God is or what God is like, but Jonah feels that in this situation it's enough for them to know, right? Resistance is futile is basically what he's saying. God is God; He's going to do what He wants. So that's why that's why I fell asleep. You know, that's why I'm just going to wait for death to come. <laughs> you you sailors might as well do the same thing. Uh, he he, this God is in control of everything. All right, and uh, you know this is a, a sort of a calm confession of faith from Jonah. But he's obviously trying to set himself apart from the panic of these pagan sailors. All right? But, but the thing is, as we pointed out, Jonah's words are not reinforced by his actions. He says he fears this God and his sailors should do the same thing, but, but nothing Jonah has done up to this point in the book shows that he actually fears God. You know, honestly, if you want to see who fears God in, in the book so far, it's the sailors. Now, now, they're fearing the wrong God, maybe. Of course, in the following verses, it shows that they do fear Yahweh, uh, and they try to do everything they can to calm the wind and the waves and the sea, whereas still Jonah does nothing. So, uh, again, Jonah, Jonah has admitted to them that it, it's, it, it's his fault that their cargo's been lost, that their ship is about to be destroyed, that they, they very well may die out here in the ocean, never see their families again. All right, but, but despite having every reason to despise and hate Jonah for the damage he has caused, <laughs> the sailors still try to protect him and are patient with him and show grace to him. It's really sort of humorous and ironic the way the actions of the sailors are in, in, set in contrast to Jonah. Jonah is puffing out his chest in pride. I worship the one true God. He's more powerful than your deities. But in, in the book, who is actually showing lives of care and concern for others? Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. This stark contrast between Jonah and the sailors becomes much more clear later in chapter 1. 
and the sailors end up being more righteous than Jonah. But um, we'll see a similar contrast drawn, by the way, when Jonah gets to Nineveh. This clear contrast between the people of Nineveh who repent and Jonah who does not. But uh, anyway, that's all jumping way ahead of the story. I think I've told you, don't look ahead, don't look ahead, we'll ruin it for ourselves. So uh, that's all for, all, all for future studies. Let me just close out today, last uh, five or ten minutes or so here, by talking about the fear of the Lord. I said I would, and Jonah says he fears the Lord. Uh, his words and actions indicate otherwise. But um, getting away from Jonah for a second, what about you and me? You know, I don't know for sure whether Jonah thought he feared God or not. Okay, He says he does, so let's give him the benefit of the doubt. But the question is, should we, should you and I fear the Lord? Okay, and again, I know there's several verses, passages in the Bible which indicate we should fear the Lord, but I believe that all of those passages, when understood in their proper context, especially when they're understood in light of Jesus Christ and various other New Testament passages about how we should interact with God, even several New Testament passages that talk about the fear of God. Right? The truth for us Christians today, us who follow Jesus today, is that we do not need to fear the Lord. You and I have nothing to fear from God. All right, so, so let me just sort of basically defend this idea real briefly, then uh, try to look at a few couple passages real quick. So here's the basic idea. Yes, uh, the Bible does teach that it is good and wise to fear God, <laughs> right? <laughs> After all, he, he he's what? He's the powerful a creator or the righteous creator of the universe, right? He created everything that is. He could destroy everything that is if he wanted to. He doesn't want to, but if he wanted to, he could, I suppose. Uh, and so it's just pure folly to not fear a being like that, right? Uh, of course, the flip side of this is that God is also loving, gracious, and kind. And because of his great love for us, rather then fear him, God wants us to love him as he has loved us. And this is one of the great themes in the book of 1 John. In 1 John 4, for example, we read that God is love. And then John goes on to explain that once we've understood his love for us, we will love him in return. And this love will cast out all fear. There is no fear in love, John says, because fear has to do with punishment. All right? And because since we know that he loves us, we can love him in return. And when we come to understand his love, we will see there's nothing to fear from God. Okay? So, so that's sort of the basic approach. But here's the thing. Not all of us fully understand the love of God, do we? In fact, I would, I would probably say almost nobody, not even myself, no theologian, Bible scholar, pastor, fully understands the love of God. We're trying all the time. And so as we come to know the love of God, that knowledge of his love, understanding, experience of his love, that's what casts out fear. In the meantime, though... <laughs> Until we come to that perfect understanding of his love, there will be fear. There will often be fear in our hearts, in our minds. Fear of God. You know, we're not sure that he can be trusted. We don't know sometimes that he has our best interests at heart all the time. 
Sometimes life is painful and we say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Or maybe we might say, God, why are you doing this to me? And really, the truth is he might, he might be having have nothing to do with it. He might be there in the mess with us, trying to protect us from it, walk through it with us, comfort us in our times of mourning and grief and sorrow and pain. That might be God's only involvement in those times, but we don't know that. We don't see that because we have not yet fully come to understand God's love for us. So, 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 so in, in, in the way, or on, on the way, I should say, of, of learning about God's love for us, sometimes we will experience the fear of God. And this is sort of also what we see in various places in the Old In fact, you know, even outside of Scripture, just step outside of Scripture for a little while. Uh, you, you take kings and presidents and CEOs of companies, maybe even fathers of household or parents, uh, principals of schools, you know, you name it. Uh, there's basically only two ways to rule. You can either rule with love, tell people, show people, I love you, I have your best interest at heart, and hopefully they will love you in return and then do what you say. Or you can get people to fear you. You can rule with an iron fist, right? Punishment and imprisonment and fines and, and police and force and armies and military, right? And soldiers. And when people don't obey, you come down hard on them and imprison them and take away their homes and sell them into slavery and kill them maybe. All right, so you can rule with love or rule with fear. And different people in authority, different kings, presidents, Principals, parents, they some choose one way, some choose the other, some sort of choose a mixture of both. God is sort of like that. Now, ultimately, God would prefer love. God ultimately wants to rule with love, rule everybody with love. And I believe that this is exactly what God does. From his position, from his perspective, from what he does and says, he always and only loves. God does not want to or seek to rule with fear, ever. But we humans, because we have not yet come to fully understand God's love for us, we sometimes think that God is ruling with fear, and we default to it. We're afraid of someone so powerful as him, this creator, righteous being, and, and we sometimes rule with fear, and so we think that God might be ruling that way also. And so this fear of God keeps us uh, from understanding God's love for us, and it does have a positive benefit. When we fear God, whether he wants it or not, it does cause us to obey him, so I suppose it's good in that. Um, and sometimes, you know, when, if we do not love God, then God is, is he's not happy with it, but he's fine with us obeying him out of fear. Uh, rather than falling into sin. L let's look at it this way. God loves us so much, okay? He doesn't want to see us get hurt. But God knows that sin hurts us. And so, God does everything he can to keep us from getting hurt by sin. And he does it first with love, all right? But if we don't love him in return, if we don't trust him enough to say, yeah, God said not to do this because this is going to hurt me, because it lo he loves me, and that's why he's warning me about this. If we say, no, I don't think God can be trusted here. This looks mighty fun. This looks mighty enjoyable. I'm going to go do this, even though God says no. All right? Well, in, in those cases, if fear of God keeps us from getting hurt, 
Well, God's fine with that too. It kept us from getting hurt because as objects of his love, he simply did not want to see us get hurt. I don't know if I'm explaining all this properly. Um, let's look at a few Bible texts, see if that helps Helps. Uh, helps a little bit. Proverbs 1.7, I already quoted this a couple times. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, uh, yeah, I can 100% agree with this verse. Fool of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But it's not the end of knowledge, is it? It's at the very beginning. And this is often where we humans start, fearing God. But God doesn't want us to end there. He's fine with we begin there because we're humans and we're scared of him and that's the way our life works. But ultimately, as we come to know him, as we grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of God, then hopefully we will come to know how much he loves us and we will move past the fear of the Lord and come into the love of the Lord and a knowledge of his love for us. So yes, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Of course it is. It's where we start. But let's move on from there and live in love with God until ultimately, eventually, all fear is gone and only love remains. Okay? One verse. Uh, Deuteronomy 10.12. I quoted this one a little bit earlier as well. God, through Moses, says to the people of Israel, O now, O Israel, what does your Lord, the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways. And then notice it says to love him, right? To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It goes on from there. But um, what's going on here? Oh, man, there's so much going on here. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm t- I'll talk about this. I've got a book coming out. This book I mentioned, I've been staying up late, getting up early to finish. It's going to be called Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And uh, it's, it's uh, one of the things that the book looks at is the concept of the law in the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, how to properly understand the Pentateuch, the law of Moses. Anyway, one of the things I point out that I will point out in the book is that very, at the very beginning, when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt uh, to Mount Sinai, initially, at the very beginning, God wanted to have a one-to-one relationship with each and every Israelite person. He wanted them to be a nation or a kingdom of priests. He didn't want any mediators between, between him and the people. No priesthood, no temple, no law, nothing like that. He just said, I wanted to be your God and I want you to be my people and we will you know, walk together as a man walks with a friend. That's, that's what God wanted with Israel. But the thing is, is the Israelites there at the base of Mount Sinai saw all the thunderings and lightnings and flashings, and they got a little scared. Here comes fear. Fear enters into this relationship. You know what they said? They said, yeah, God, that sounds nice, but no thank you. We're scared of you. Fear. They did not believe that God loved them as much as he said he did, and so they were afraid of him. And when they entered into fear, they said, God, have Moses be the mediator between you and us. You talk to him, and then he'll come tell us what you say, and that, that, that'll be fine. What they did is they rejected this relationship based on love, and they opted instead for a mediator. And from this mediator came, uh, you know, yes, from God, through Moses, right, came the law, the temple, the priesthood, and everything else, uh, which never, never worked either. So anyway... I talk a lot more about this in the in my book if you want to study it and read it some more. But 
Uh, here in Deuteronomy 10, and really in, in Deuteronomy, Moses is retelling this entire thing. And he's basically saying, look, yes, God still loves you and wants you to love him. But if that can't happen, or until that can happen perfectly, God wants you to walk in all his ways. He wants you to serve him with all your heart and your soul. And that can be done with love. He mentions it here. But when there's no love or when love is imperfect, well, the fear of the Lord will also work to help you do what he says. Like I said earlier, you know, when there's no love and we don't know that God can be trusted, well, fear of the Lord will also keep us walking in his ways. It's not ideal. It's not perfect. But it does work while we are learning that God can be trusted, that he has our best interests at heart, that he only loves us and is only seeking to protect us from the pain of sin. Anyway, if you want to learn more about that, uh, get my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. It should be out in uh, two weeks or so. Okay, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. All right, this is sort of the same thing. Ecclesiastes, by the way, is a very depressing book. I'm not going to get into it a whole lot, but he's basically saying the same thing that Moses said. Uh, and uh, he doesn't really understand, I don't believe, why God gave us all this wonderful stuff on earth to enjoy. If you don't know the story of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's most likely Solomon. It's about Solomon, whether or not he wrote it, that's up for debate. But uh, Solomon set out to, de- to deny himself nothing, and he ends up finding that it's all worthless and vanity. Well, because when you die, you can't take any of it with you. It all goes to your relatives, someone else, right? And you're not remembered. Okay. But the thing is, I think what Solomon, or whoever wrote this, really missed is that even if it's all vanity and worthless, you can't take it with you, it goes to someone else, your name is forgotten, it's still enjoyable and pleasurable to enjoy God's give good gifts on this earth while we have them. Food and friendships, okay? Music, all this wonderful stuff. There's nothing wrong with that to enjoy it while we're here. Ecclesiastes says this sort of thing a little bit in, in chapter 9, where he says, eat your bread, drink your wine, enjoy your wife. This is the meaning of life. <laughs> I agree. God gave us these things because he loves us, so enjoy them. And why did he give them? Because he loves us. Anyway, the author goes on by the end of the book, is basically said, you know what? Fear God, keep his commandments. I would say, love God and keep his commandments. I think Jesus would say the same thing. Fulfillment of the law, right? Love the Lord your God, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anyway, uh, Ecclesiastes here is saying the same thing. And I just think he misses out a little bit on love, especially God's love. Now, there are several Old Testament texts that, t- that say this exact same thing. Love is better than fear. God doesn't want us to fear him. He wants us to love him. Isaiah 41.10 is one example. There's lots of others. Just one, though. Running out of time here. Uh, Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is saying, don't fear me. You have nothing to fear with me. My only activity towards you is to strengthen you, protect you, love you, take care of you. That's all I want. You don't need to fear me. In fact, I think if you were to take all of the verses in the Bible and on one, you know, write them on, uh, say, put, a, put two columns on a piece of paper, and on the left-hand side, put all the verses, references, where, where we say God is, you know, or someone is telling us to fear God, 
And on the other hand, uh, say all the verse references where God is telling us, don't be afraid, fear not, you have nothing to fear. I I think the verses that that say we don't have anything to fear from God would outnumber the the verses that say we should fear God. Do, Do that study on your own if you want. You know, very often, like when the angel of the Lord shows up and the people are cowering, eating dirt, and you're out down on the ground and uh, cowering, afraid for their lives. What does the angel of the Lord say? Don't be afraid. Stand up. You're okay. I'm not here to kill you. Right? So uh, that, that's, that's a messenger from God giving this message. And it's the same thing we see here in Isaiah 41.10. Um. <laughs> Numerous New Testament texts. We could go on and on and on. This is a consistent message almost throughout the entire New Testament. Paul talks about this a lot. Second uh, Timothy one seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right? God doesn't want us to fear. When we are filled and uh, empowered, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we're not going to fear. We, we're not going to fear anything, God or anybody else. He's given us a, a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. Okay. Um, there are a couple verses in the New Testament, which like two, I think, that do indicate we should fear God. Maybe, maybe a couple more, but I just sort of thought of two as I was preparing this podcast. Luke one fifty. this is from Mary. Uh, Mary's mindset here, Mary had a lot of development to undergo in her understanding of the Messiah and what her son Jesus would do. And very early on here, before Jesus is born, after she's just found out she's going to give birth to Messiah, you know her song here? It actually represents an Old Testament mindset about this Messiah who is going to come and kill all his enemies and overthrow his foes and tear down thrones and powers. And, and, uh, and that's what Mary thought Jesus was going to do. It's what everybody at that time thought Jesus was going to do. So she was wrong about what Jesus was coming to do. And uh, so when she says in verse 50, Luke 1, 50, that uh, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Well, she's not saying we should fear him, but she also is sort of uh, reflecting this Old Testament mindset that we should fear God. And of course, she is right, though. God does show mercy to those who fear him. He also shows mercy, though, to those who don't fear him, but obey his commandments out of love, right? So uh, you're still going to get his mercy and his grace either way. Anyway, Mary's song uh, sort of represents that Old Testament mindset. One other verse is Matthew 10, 28. It's also in Luke 12, 5. And Jesus is talking and he says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, (laughs) this is a super tricky verse. And honestly, I'm not even going to try to explain it in this podcast. Why not? Because I'm already at 35 minutes, and I wrote a blog post about this a couple years back, which uh, if you are curious about this verse, I want you to go read it. It's uh, in the show notes. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash Jonah19 to uh, search, and I'll, I'll include a link there to this discussion of Matthew 10, 28. You could also probably find, a, do a Google search for my discussion of Luke 12, 5. Just search for uh, Luke 12, 5, Redeeming God, something like that, and that'll probably come up. The uh, blog post title, by the way, is called, <laughs> you ready for this? A Theological Shibboleth. No, I'm not, 
drunk here or anything. Uh, if you know what a shibboleth is from the Old Testament, uh, Luke 12, 5 is a theological shibboleth. The way you understand that verse tells me more about your view of God than anything else. Okay? Uh, some people think Luke 12, 5, when, when Jesus says, rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, some people think that's referring to God, and other people think that is referring to Satan. <laughs> Makes a big difference, doesn't it? Who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell? Is it God or Satan? Well, my view, go read the post, especially look at the comments. Lots of people interacted on that post. Leave a comment of your own with your own insights and exegetical suggestions. Uh, lots of people um, provide great, great tips there. Anyway, my view is that it's God. I, I'm sorry, what am I talking about? My view is that it's Satan. <laughs> lots of people think that it is God. But uh, I think Jesus is referring to Satan there. And and again, it's because John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life. God's a life giver. He's not a destroyer. He doesn't destroy anybody. Um, And so uh, that's that's sort of my basic answer on how to understand Luke 12.5. But do your own thinking on it. Do your own studying especially. Go check out the show notes at redeeminggod.com slash Jonah19 to... to see what I've said about that verse and what other people have said, and then you can weigh in there as well. Again, the post is called The Theological Shibboleth, if you want to search for that on Google. Look, uh, I gave you a lot to think about in this podcast episode. We're coming up on 40 minutes. That was way too long. I'm sorry about that. Look, the bottom line is uh, that when we come to see that God looks like Jesus, that Jesus perfectly reveals God to us, It is then that we begin to understand that we have nothing to fear from God. His perfect love casts out all fear. And Jonah is teaching some pretty bad theology to the sailors here. He doesn't even follow it himself, as far as I can tell. And I think he's doing it intentionally because he disdains and despises these sailors. Why do I say that? Well, it's because of what he tells them next. They ask a few more questions in 10 and 11, and then he gives the worst theological answer in the entire Bible to the sailors in verse 12. We'll be looking at all of that next week. Uh, Between now and then, though, don't forget to join me at uh, the discipleship area of redeeminggod.com. I've got this new book coming out, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, and a new course that goes along with it. Uh, you know, actually, that 52 keywords of the by, of the gospel, I pulled five of those words out, and it formed the sort of structure, the basic structure of my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. So they go together. You'll want to read both the book and take the course, and you can do that by joining the discipleship uh, area of my website. Go to redeeminggod.com slash join. You can learn more there, get started. Uh, if you join the hope or love levels, then you get to take all of my courses for free. A bunch of other goodies there as well. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Hope I challenged you, your thinking today, and that as you leave here, you search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Can't wait to see you online in the discipleship area. Can't wait to see you back here next week when we pick up with Jonah 110.